Hey everyone, it's me, Rebecca. I'm currently on maternity leave, and while I'm away, we picked out some of our earlier episodes from the No Limits Vault so that you can get caught up and enjoy while I'm off. And just so you know, I pre-recorded this, so I actually am spending time with my baby right now. Bye. I have the world's eyes on me and what I'm saying, you know, for eight minutes. You know, what am I going to do with that? Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. Founders, actors, athletes, chefs, comedians, musicians. Bottom line, these are women who win. So how are they doing it? We're taking you way beyond the bios, looking at their struggles, triumphs, risks, biggest mistakes, and some of the worst advice they've heard along the way. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Today's guest started chasing her dream of becoming a fashion designer when she was 18 years old and she moved to New York City. Her first major creation, an I Love New York t-shirt, completely redesigned. Fast forward 15 years and now she's creating everything from handbags to shoes to clothing that you see everywhere and all over Instagram. If you think back to 2005, her very first bag came out. You probably know the name, the morning after bag. It is iconic. She's now grown her self-titled lifestyle brand worldwide with over 900 stores. Her Buy Now Runway show at New York Fashion Week broke new ground on the streets of New York City, live streaming the whole thing in 360 virtual reality. I want to welcome to the show Rebecca Minkoff. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I love your story uh, because it started so early. You started out chasing your dreams so young, and now here you are. What happened along the way? What are <laughs> what are the the big things, the defining moments you think propelled you here? I think the defining moments is while I was raised with a work ethic that I resented for the majority of my life, I think always having to work for what I wanted gave me a sort of a fearlessness that when I moved here to work for a designer and had dreams of starting my own company, it didn't occur to me to be scared that I had nowhere to live or uh, a a low-paying job that maybe would not even pay the rent. And and when I did decide to start my own company, that normal like, oh gosh, I can't do this, this is too risky, didn't, I didn't have those normal feelings because my whole life my mom and dad had said, if you want this, how are you going to earn it? And so I thought... You know, I thought very analytically about, okay, I have to make this work, and and what are the steps? So I think that's one key defining moment, and one thing I like to talk about with other uh, women interested in starting their careers is you have to be a little fearless in order to really take those leaps and change your life. Um, And And eat some ramen along the way. (laughs) A lot of ramen. (laughs) Um, And I think the other key thing is is I, I was very quick to know Uh, who could help me and get a girl network of women who could help me and support me and say, you know what, I know this person I can introduce you. So, you know, treating my business cards at the time like currency. So every night I'd get home and count my business cards, who are my contacts that I made. And I still am sort of like that today. If I get a business card, I never throw it away. Um, Because you never know when you might need to make a connection with someone. And I think between that, uh, my fearlessness, and then my fortuitous phone call to my father where I said, hey, dad, I think I think now I'm now success. I can see it. Uh, will you help me? And he said, no, call your brother. Um, I called my brother. I said, listen, I'm out of money. I finally have some heat around this handbag that I created. 
uh, will you help me fund the orders? And so he did, and we became partners. And I think that was also a huge turning point because I'm not ever going to claim that I'm great at math or great at business or I can look at a spreadsheet and understand what I'm looking at. Uh, but he does, and he's very forward-thinking also in technology. So that was a big shift to finally have a partner. You figured out how to find that partner. It happened to be your brother. I want to get to that in a minute. But in terms of networking and finding the right people to surround yourself with, we always hear how important that is, finding a mentor, finding people to surround yourself with. What are the actual steps that you took to find the right people to surround yourself with? So the right steps that I took was um, early on, there happened to be this website. It's no longer around. I, I guess its replacement is the fashion calendar um, that listed events. And I would go to them and I would just introduce myself to people. I'd hand out my card, get their cards. And then as I started to see some press um, from making those connections, I would always just make sure I connected with those people. And one, I happened to have a great relationship and she became a friend and essentially became my first publicist. She'd be like, I'm going to these five parties tonight. You're coming with me. I'm going to introduce you to everybody. So I think um, early on that was really key. Um, And I think now with social media, the ability to connect with people via LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, you know, there's so many more ways that you can connect to people um, and get yourself out there. And I think you just have to, if you're scared inside, you have to just pretend on the surface you're not and go forward and introduce people. And I always respect it when someone comes forward to me and has an idea or is an entrepreneur and pitches me, you know, what they're doing. That's good to hear, to know that you would be open to that. I'm (laughs) open. You might have a few people coming up to you now that you didn't expect as a result of saying it. I might. This is true. (laughs) Um, The point that you made about having to overcome it and just show on the outside that you're not afraid – at, at the end of the day, everybody in my job, I meet lots and lots of people, but I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't call myself an extrovert. And I overcome that personally a fair amount just because I know if I don't, if I don't just make a decision that I'm going to go after something, someone else will. Totally. And I think, you know, if you are trying to work at your dream, no one else is going to be as fervent about it as you are. So you have to do that because no one else is really going to do it for you. How do you recommend, in terms of social media, you use it very well and heavily with your brand for Rebecca Minkoff. How do you recommend people share their story on social media right now? What are the best things they can be doing? I think that each channel is very unique in what that audience wants to see. So you almost have to sort of obviously try a bunch of things and see what they're responding to. So we've learned that Twitter is our news feed. You know, Facebook is great if we're promoting events and special insider activities. Um, Instagram is really the life of our girl. Um, So I think you have to sort of be nimble in order to react to what does she want to see and when. We often do our postings on Instagram, you know, morning, noon, and evening because that's when she's checking her phone during lunch or she's, you know, on her way to work or she's about to go out at night. So I think we're also trying to time our messaging to when she actually is receiving them. So we've done a lot of listening um, by just seeing how she reacts to to what we're putting out there. I always like when you put cups of coffee sometimes with, with sayings in them, but it always that always speaks to me. <laughs> You've got your coffee here today. That's perfect. Yes. Um, you're also now working on Project Runway Fashion Startup. That's got to be interesting, a totally <laughs> different thing that you – what was it like behind the scenes on the show? So it was really interesting. It was myself and three other investors, and we saw all types of entrepreneurs from uh, fledgling beauty companies to – Uh, you know, subscription boxes. And I always want to encourage 
people to follow their dreams. So it was this balance of how do I encourage you, but also I have to pick apart what you're doing wrong, not because I want to be critical or mean, but if you do this, it won't work. So that was a slightly uncomfortable place for me to be because I always want to be that helpful person. But if you're going something completely in the wrong way and you're going to, you know, almost career suicide, then I have to be honest with you. So it was fun. It was interesting. It was fascinating to meet all these companies, but also exciting that so many people are are able now with technology to really start their own companies. Which the barriers to entry are limited, but the point you bring up about career suicide, what do you see as the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs, young women are making when they're going after starting something? I think being stubborn is really, really not a good idea. How does that work? Like, how does that manifest itself? (laughs) I think it manifests itself if you say to someone, you know what, you should really rethink this design because what you're saying and its use case and the people that you want to target aren't even big enough. This is a real example of something that happened on the show. I can't say more than that. (laughs) But um, his end consumer and where he was going to promote the goods to didn't match. Um, and also the price tag was way too high for either one of those demographics to buy in. Um, and he refused to acknowledge that that was not a good idea and that his price should stay the same. There was no, there was no opening or willingness to talk about it. So that's an, you know, a stubborn action that's probably going to make it so that you don't have a business or if you know it all already. So someone's telling you and you're like, I know that all or I, I think I've learned very humbly to take feedback, whether it's from a consumer or a buyer. Um, early on, and that's not easy. It's not like you welcome someone criticizing your product, but if you want to succeed, you have to be able to take that in and turn it into a positive. And if, especially if it's coming directly from the consumer, if you're getting negative feedback on something, you're not taking that into consideration, that could be the end of you. You've, you've sunk a lot of money into something in order to get it into the consumer's hands. If you don't listen to their feedback and tweak things, pivot, whatever it is that you need to do. Yep. That could be the end quickly. It could be the end very quickly. And we saw that in the recession in 2008 when uh, we were actually having Christmas celebratory drinks with a department store of ours about the great year we had. And they said, listen, you know, the recession's hitting. If you have a five in front of one of your bags, because my bags used to be 495 and 595 they said, we will no longer carry your line. Drop your prices. Keep the quality. Figure it out. Um, And that was a really tough time, and we decided to listen. And every single one of our competition at the time did not listen. And there are four or five brands that today you've never heard of that were huge, three times the size of what we were at the time, that just aren't around anymore because they didn't listen. And I think, you know, when our consumers saw that our prices had gone down by over 100 100 to $150 in some cases, they were like, she listened. And that's why our growth during that time was so much. But that had to be, at the moment, a really tough call. Because if you're having to deliver the same quality at a lower price, yes, that's also a problem for a business go- go down the road. It's a huge problem. Um, I think my brother and I had many late nights. I remember very clearly getting my first gray hair that, that month. <laughs> uh, but I think we sat down and we said, okay, let's take the Ridley's model. Let's sell more and make less. 
<laughs> basically, you know, and really just pour this time into our growth and and showing the consumer that we care. And if there's a rainbow, you know, if there's a pot of gold at the at the end of this journey, awesome. But but we want we want to take care of our consumer first. I always ask people for the worst advice they ever got. And especially in this context, I think it's 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 a an important question, but before I ask you that question, I want to understand how you look at advice. Because advice is so important, we get a lot of a, a lot of feedback. But de- determining which feedback to listen to as an entrepreneur, those are sort of the make or break moments. So how do you how do you assess the kind of feedback that you're getting, and how do you determine whether it's a yes or a no? So first, I look at the person who is giving me the advice. Is it my I don't know, a friend, or is it an aunt who, you know, said, you should really put your pocketbooks on the street, you know, in the early days. <laughs> is that what your aunt said yeah. to you? <laughs> yes, she called it a pocketbook. Um, so I think I look at who the person is, and are they someone whose advice I should be taking? Do they know what they're talking about? Are they coming from an informed place? If it's a buyer from a department store saying, hey, top handle bags are really on trend, you should have them, I'm going to listen because I'm pretty sure she knows her information. So I also look at the tone of the advice. Is the advice trying to help you or are they really just trying to um, covertly sort of make you feel less about yourself? So I always look at how it's said. Um, And I think people are pretty receptive to when it's genuine and when it's just trying to hurt you. When it is just trying to hurt you, how do you manage that? I mean, I I look at somebody like you. Your name is known throughout the world. (laughs) It is. You've got stores everywhere. People are carrying your bags. They're wearing your clothes. But with that comes the negative. Right. How do you shut it out? I think you just have to look that most people are genuine and happy and want to help. And then there are the 50% or let's say if I said most, 40% that, that don't have that. And I think once you know what someone's intention is, you just have to know that it's not personal. It's their unhappiness. It's their projection. And you just sort of have to say like, you know what? Delete. Just like you would an email. I'm deleting that comment. I'm not saying that it doesn't affect me, but I just have to go, wait a second. What was their intention? Was it to help you or hurt you? And and how did you feel after that interaction? And okay, maybe I'm not going to interact with that person as much or in a different way. My mom used to say, fly above it. Do whatever you can to fly above it. Yes. Your brother. You and your brother have such a great relationship. How do you manage to work together as brother and sister on an expanding brand? (laughs) So we have a wonderful relationship. That's not to say we never – we always want to be honest – um, that it's not always perfect. Did you always get along when you were younger? He terrorized me um, when I was little. Like, he was the older brother. It's ironic that we work together now because he was the older brother that I hated. <laughs> um, uh, typical older brother stuff. Or, and if you have sisters, I'm sure you can relate. Um, so we really, when we started the company, we each very much had our own individual lanes um, that didn't really intersect. And as the company's grown, he's gotten more expertise in my area and mine in his. So now we respect each other's areas of operation, but we also like to contribute to the other one. Um, we also go see almost like a couples counselor at least once a year. You do. We do. And that really changed our relationship for the better because we could air out any frustration with a moderator that really just helped kind of reset. Um, and then when we come through that and we've sort of reset our strategy, we we always come out of that more aligned. So that's been very helpful the last two years that I've, I think really made a nice shift that people see we're united. You know, if we have a if we have a disagreement that we cannot work out ourselves, you know, then we're able to go to this person all the time. 
We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. So this person, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because more and more founders, co-founders of companies are now using counselors. I just I just did an interview with Dr. Ruth, and she was advising a number of co-founders oh, wow. um, on how to get along. And, and especially something that she said at the very end that really stood out to me was putting the relationship before the business. Right. That ultimately, at the end of the day, in the worst case scenario – the business doesn't work out. You can build another business, but you can't get another relationship like the one you had. Correct. And that's great advice. And being that our family is very close, we definitely can't get a, another relationship. So it's always, it is always important to us because our families are so close um, that we, we make sure we work it out. When there is a, a, an issue, something that you guys disagree on, aside from going to a counselor or a therapist, is there anyone like a board of directors or people that you turn to as outsiders who help you settle these questions? No. No. We settle them all. We present a united front, and it's our goal that, you know, when we are with the board, uh, we stand together. So we, we usually like to work out anything prior to, to that. And I think that um, the other thing is the amount of pressure and stress stress and things that you can't make up that fly at us every day that have nothing, you know, to do with a handbag design or for him running a company is totally insane. Like you think you're like, okay, I'm good. And then, you know, something else hits you. So I think now more than ever, our goal is to stay united because we, we cannot weather the storm of growing this company um, being separated. Very wise advice, I would say. Yeah. Worst advice. Has it come to you yet? Oh, we've had so much bad advice. Um, we had someone who shall remain nameless say, you know what? You should really just focus on growing the handbags and don't extend into ready-to-wear and shoes and just a handbag brand. And had we done that, we wouldn't be the lifestyle brand we are today. And, and again, a lot of the handbag brands that are out of business went out of business also because they didn't diversify. Or... Even worse advice, which we didn't listen to, was when I began to talk to our consumer back in 2005. You know, there wasn't social media. It was just online chat forums. Uh, the Purse blog had a forum, and I would talk to our consumer. And so many people said, this is the death of your brand. You should be in an ivory tower. You're better than them. Don't talk to them. And then we decided to talk to bloggers. And that was like, how dare you use a C-list personality the the you know that you would ever you know work with people that beneath you and we were just like that seems crazy i think i think we like what they're doing and it's refreshing and so does our consumer so um thank god we didn't listen to the that bad advice the fashion industry can be tough <laughs> yes it can <laughs> i mean i'm a complete outsider to it but as an outsider looking in there are some big personalities that appear to hold the keys to the castle and they determine whether or not you're allowed inside that used to be the way and i think we are the first brand that said we were not deemed uh 
allowed access, and we are going to talk to our consumer, uh, join her, become democratic, and break down those walls. You know, there used to be uh, the queen, and then, you know, 20 other people in the United States, I would say, that, you know, deemed you worthy. And that's totally broken down. And I think um, we take the credit for a lot of that um, by coming from the outside and actually just having an honest and open dialogue with our consumer, whether it was online or with social media or me visiting the 30 cities I visit a year to meet her and really just having that be the reason why we're here, not because someone said, you're blessed, you're in my, you're in my cool circle. You know your consumer. Yes. You call her her. I call her her. She's my girlfriend. <laughs> Do you feel like you are the consumer or is is it broader than that? It's broader than that, but we sort of say it's me at all the phases that I've had, right? Because our consumer is a millennial for the most part. I don't want to leave anyone out. We can have Gen Z in there too and Gen X. Um, but I think that we... We say if she's 18 to 34, what are those moments in her life where this is really important? And, and we want to be the brand that helps a woman lead a fearless life. So if, if you buy that bag and you have a little bit more swagger because of it or you quit your job and now, you know, you want to celebrate and you want to wear some sassy shoes or whatever it is. Or you asked for a raise and you got something, you know, you went out of your comfort zone. We want to be that brand that you get to celebrate with or that you wear when you want that confidence. So I think that. Uh, that's me, but that's a lot of other women, and it's it's a mindset. It's not an age. When you think about the brand and building the brand over now a little more than a decade at this point, what was the hardest lesson to learn along the way? So, as a creator, as an artist, to want to be successful and only do what you want to do, for the most part, doesn't work in this industry. So. You can have a very small, very nice, very niche business, but if you want to have a, a global brand, it isn't about only what you want, you know? And I think that was very hard, and how do you figure out when you're taking someone's advice, or are you letting them design for you, or how do you take their advice and then make it yours and then come out with your design? So I think there was a long time where as a person I was like, I just don't want to, you know, I just don't want everyone telling me what they want. But it was more like, okay, let me listen to what they're saying and then give it back to them through my lens. So that was the way I was kind of able to work through that. Um, and then a PR consultant that we had had said, you know, do you want to sell a watch to go on vacation or do you want to go on vacation? Because I have a lot of designers that have these really tiny, cute businesses that have to sell their jewelry to be able to go to the beach. You know, who do you, what kind of company do you want to have? And I think it's not about just having a big company, but it's about having a platform that now it's not just about material. It's about how do we empower women? Um, how do we... Uh, show women that you can, you know, grab life by the horns and, and lead a, a more fulfilled, rich life. And that's something that you have, I, I know, from just talking to you over the years, something you really pushed for yourself to do more of as well. This most recent fashion show at New York Fashion Week really pushed the boundaries <laughs> was a massive undertaking. Yes, beyond massive. And people probably said to you, not a good idea. You should just do what everyone else is doing. Not only did they say that, we had to go before um, a board of people that 40 of them stood up with us and said, terrible idea. Get out of my neighborhood. Um, you know, you're the devil, basically. Devil incarnate is <laughs> They actually said that? I was the devil incarnate. Um, and we said, you know what? 
we're going to go and work with the mayor's office, who was incredible to work with. And they actually said, you know what? We see that this is great for tourism. It's great for Fashion Week, and it's great for New York City. So let's do it. So we were, we closed down Green Street. Which um, is where G- your shop is, which is in Soho is. here in New York City. That's right. Um, and we had a street show. We invited about 700 industry and consumers. And then the street filled up with probably another 1,300. And uh, we did a virtual reality live stream, the first of its kind. You could also try on all the goods on this app called Zekit, which lets you, you know, you see yourself in the clothing. Um, and as we were planning it, I was really excited, but I also felt like it was missing an element of humanity. And with all the terrible stuff that's happening, I just couldn't sleep at night thinking, you know what, there has to be, I have the world's eyes on me and what I'm saying, you know, for eight minutes. You know, what am I going to do with that? So we were able to partner with um, a female street graffiti artist. Her tag name is Gilf. And um, she tagged the jackets with all these incredible uplifting sayings like unite, love is love. We actually auctioned off all those jackets uh, to a charity called Not On Our Watch. And I think to feel that when that happened, we send all the models and myself down the runway, 22 jackets, all with the sayings. You could feel this surge of like just people being uplifted. And so for me, while the street show was great and the live stream was awesome, to just have that shift of like consciousness for me was was the most rewarding. If done right, I think including a mission, an authentic mission Correct. in the work that you're doing right now is so key to reaching the consumer, but also you're saying to fulfilling your mission as a designer, as an entrepreneur. For sure. I think people People can smell when something is not authentic and when you're doing something for press. And there was nothing about, I want the press because I want that, you know, the jacket sold out and we got to give a lot of money to this charity. So for me, it was about how do you tie something bigger? Like, I'm so sick of the hashtag pray for blah because no one's doing something, you know. But if we all did something, then maybe the violence or or these types of atrocities would be less. Technology is also really core and key to the expansion of your brand. You've done some really forward-looking things inside your stores. Um, here in New York City, you have the um, a, a lot of technology from the minute that someone walks in the store. How do you think about using that technology in in your business? Because it's an expensive investment, so it, it you know you can't do everything. So how do you think about what it is that you do? I think the goal for what we do is to always be a little bit ahead of our consumer, but also handle things that she wants handled. So we're easing her pain points in our stores using technology. It isn't technology just to be like, here's something bright and shiny and fun and look what we can do. Um, So, you know, when you walk into the store from the minute you walk in, you can tailor your experience. You can get the drink that you want. You can decide if you are that person that wants to be talked to or ignored. Um, You can leave. Which one are you, Rebecca? I want to be ignored. Do not talk to me when I enter a store. I will walk out. I'm I'm the same way. I I don't know what it is. I know what I want. I know what I'm looking for. So I just like to do it my way. Thank you. Sorry, I said, <laughs> but it mic. is. But it is. I will say this. Um, one thing in, in your store that I really enjoyed was when you're in the fitting room. If there is something that you need, rather than having to go out of the fitting room and or poke your head out, even you could just 
buzz. I mean, the, the technology is there to get the size that you want. That is. And and it's also nice that, you know, we wanted to find a sense of you feeling like I was recommending things to you in there. So all the recommendations come from me of what you should wear that dress with or that top with or the bag that you should carry. So it's not necessarily the stylist helping you and saying something and they don't even know you. It's like, oh, it's your trusted friend me saying this is how you should pair your outfit together. When you were just getting started, how was the structure of your life different from the way that it is now? How how were your days spent? What was your time spent doing? So when I first got started, I did everything from buy the leather, buy the dog hooks. I used to clean out Home Depots around the city, finding dog hooks for the sides of the bags, um, going out of state to find them. Um, shipping the bags, invoicing the bags, calling for collections, running my sample sales, um, you know, setting up a trade show booth. You name it, I've done every single function of the organization. Um, and as we've grown and and designed some bags, I guess I should not forget that most important part. <laughs> there was also <laughs> there was the also part. some design. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as we've grown slowly, I could shrug certain responsibilities. So I don't set up the trade shows anymore. Um, you know, I'm not calling for bills anymore. You're not invoicing people? I'm not invoicing people, although that was fun to call and yell at people who didn't pay me. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Accounts receivable, get on it. <laughs> um, so now my focus is primarily uh, the design and also the PR. Um, and then this, not I wouldn't say newing because we've been doing a lot of work in the female space, but just really about getting the broader message of women helping women and and if that's a panel discussion, if that's a dinner that we host in our store, but really really getting more women to connect and help each other out. Something that, um, you know, I've talked to some other female founders about this, and it, it does come up from time to time, is women not helping women Yes, when it happens. Why do you think that is, and how do we overcome that? So that's an interesting question. I, I speak at a lot of places where it's still the women fighting against, let's say, men. And in my company and in fashion, it's not that at all. It's women fighting women. So I've never had, you know, a lot of my staff have that feeling like a man is getting their job or he's making more. It's other women. And I, seeing all the cattiness that exists, um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, and I'm like, you know, we're all one team. And you're not going to get her job because you have different jobs. So why not help each other out? And I think I try as often as possible to instill that in the company. It's not perfect because you still have those personalities. But if I see it, I am like, that's not how this works here. We are a team. We are one. And and let, let's all help each other out. There's not enough of that. And I think um, getting more people to be that way and just knowing that that's its own issue, uh, we are all holding ourselves back as women if we don't begin to help each other out because we all have to be a united team if we want to um, get on equal footing. Well said. Final question. One parting word of wisdom, advice to all the women out there who want to achieve great things in their lives. In the job space, not in the dating space, because I got in trouble for this, uh, no is just the beginning of yes. No is just the beginning of yes, which means what to you? It means that when someone says no, you don't turn away and give up and they go, okay, they must be right. You just keep going. You keep knocking. You keep persisting on the path that you're going to. Um, I think that 
society sometimes can gloss over success and make it seem easy or you should have a you know you should be rich right away or you should you know be on the cover of Vogue after your first season and I think none of this would feel like success or achieving anything if it was all easy and you have to know that you are going to have extreme extraordinary barriers that don't seem overcomable at all and it's what you do with that and it's about getting over that that you experience that high um, if it was all handed to you, you'd be like, oh, this isn't that glamorous or fun. I don't want to do this. It's like eating cake every day. It gets totally. old. It gets totally old. <laughs> Rebecca Makoff, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well.